are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Our text for this evening comes from a very familiar passage of Scripture. We are all tonight probably well acquainted with the story uh, of which we read in Exodus chapter 3. It's the event when Moses has an encounter with God. We speak of it as the burning bush experience. Uh, Moses is keeping watch over his father-in-law's flock and Uh, He sees a bush that uh, is on fire, and yet it is not consumed by the flame. He says, I'll turn aside and see this great sight. And when he turns aside, the voice of God begins to speak to him and tells him, Moses, take off your shoes, for the ground whereon thou standest is holy ground. And he begins to, God begins to talk with Moses. He begins to reveal to Moses the plan that God has for him. God says, I've chosen you. I've determined that you are going to be my servant. I have selected you and commissioned you to go bring the children of Israel out of their Egyptian bondage. And I'm particularly interested because there is something that occurs in this chapter uh, three different times. God introduces himself in verse number six to Moses And this is what he says. He says, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then in our text that we read, when Moses says, who shall I tell the children of Israel? When I go to them with this wild and crazy tale that I've been sent to bring you out of Egyptian bondage, they're a bunch of slaves in servitude, and I'm gonna go against the most powerful man on the face of the earth, And I'm going to tell them that me, this shepherd guy who can't even speak plainly, has come to bring them out and to deliver them. What kind of authority do I have? And God says in our text, verse number 15, you tell them the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob have sent me unto you. And then in verse number 16, after our text, he repeats himself. He says, go gather the elders of Israel together, Say unto them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and have seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And so three different occasions, God identifies himself as the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. That interests me. It tells me several things by way of introduction. I would say to this that, When we read this statement as God identifies himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, I'm glad that that lets me know that God is the God of successive generations. He's the same God and he's good in any generation. Can I say to you teenagers, the same God that your grandfathers and grandmothers worshiped and served, and the same God that your mothers and dad worshiped and served, He's the same God that will be your God. Doesn't matter what generation you live in. Doesn't matter how old you get or how young you are. God is still God. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
And if you're an Abraham or you're an Isaac or you're a Jacob on the scope of humanity, he wants to be your God if you'll allow him to. He's the God of successive generations. He's the God of differing personalities. You know, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll discover that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all had different personalities. They were different individuals. They had different strengths and different weaknesses. But guess what? They all had the same God. And aren't you glad that there's not one God for those who are spiritually strong and another God for those who perhaps are spiritually weak or one God for those who have abilities and talents and a different God for those who are endowed with lesser gifts and abilities. I'm glad that there's just one God and he's the God no matter what your personality is, no matter what your gifts and callings are, he wants to be your God tonight. He's the God of the Abrahams and the Isaacs and the Jacobs, whoever you are. Not only that, could I say this? He's the God of individual relationships. He was the God of Abraham. And he just dealt with Abraham. He interacted with Abraham. And he moved in Abraham's life. And when Abraham passed off the scene, God said, I'll be the God of Isaac and I'll interact in his life and I'll work in his life. And then he came to Jacob and he said, I'll have a relationship with him. And tonight God wants to have a relationship with you no matter who you are or where you're at. Oh, I'm glad that we have this wonderful God. And that's a, that, th- those are great truths, but I want you to notice something very interesting that God says. He said in verse number 15, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever. Now notice this. And this is my memorial unto all generations. A memorial is that which we use to honor or to remember someone by. We mark down their great achievements. If you're a basketball player and you've accomplished some great things for the team that you play for, whether it be a high school or a college or uh, perhaps a professional team, and, and at the end of your long and lustrous career, they will, what they, they call, retire your number. They'll hang it up in the rafters. You know what that is? That is a memorial. Anyone who comes into that arena looks up and they remember the great things that you had accomplished. They remember the heroic effort that you put forth on behalf of your team. They remember your loyalty and your fidelity that you stayed with that team through good times and bad times and you were loyal to them and in response, they want to make a memorial to you. Now here's what God says. God says... Here's what I want you to remember me by. And by the way, this is not the only place he says it. In Psalm 135 and verse number 13, the psalmist says, Thy name, O Lord, endureth forever, and thy memorial, O Lord, throughout all generations. You say, what is God's memorial? What does God want me to hang in the rafters of my life? What does God want me to turn to and reflect upon and remember him by? Here it is. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
That's the memorial he wants in your life. You say, well, what does that have to do with me? And by the way, it's a memorial for everyone. He said unto all generations. It's a memorial forever. He said in Psalm 135, throughout all generations. It doesn't change. It doesn't matter that we're in 2019. God still wants us to have the same memorial to him that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had to him. You say, what does that mean for me? Well, I'm glad you asked. What message does that have? Let's consider it for a moment. First of all, he says, I am the God of Abraham. God says, here's what I want you to remember about me as you make your way through life. I want you to remember that I'm the God who directs to the invisible. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse number 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whether he went. Can I say this? Mark it down. God is a God who desires, who asks of us to walk by faith. God does not tell us every step along the journey of life, but rather he wants us just simply to trust him. He says, remember, I am the God of Abraham, I didn't tell Abraham the end of the story. I didn't tell him what all it would entail. I just said, Abraham, you come and go with me. And Abraham just obeyed walking by faith. Can I say tonight, God wants you to walk by faith. Have you ever thought about this? Every step of your Christian journey is a step of faith. Uh, Salvation is merely a step of faith. You just step out of where you're at and you say, God, I'm simply gonna take you at your word. I believe what you said. I believe you're right. I believe you'll do what you said. And I'm just gonna step out and by faith trust you and God in a miraculous way changes you from darkness unto light. He brings you from a lost sinner headed to hell. He changes you and makes you his own child destined for heaven. It's a miraculous, amazing transformation And it simply happens by a step of faith in obedience to the call of God. Can I say our surrender is a step of faith? Uh, By the way, let me just give you a little aside here. Sometimes our problem is we get the Bible order messed up and we mess up things because we're trying to do it according to our plan instead of God's plan. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There is God's perfect plan for growth for a child of God. First of all, there is salvation. I beseech you therefore, brethren. If you're not among the brethren, if you haven't been born again and into the family of God, you haven't made the first step yet. But then the second step is, I I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. The second step is surrender. That is, you just say, God, I'm taking my hands off of my life. Lord, I'm yielding myself to you. Whatever you say, I'll do. Wherever you send me, I'll go. Whatever you ask, I'm willing to give. Lord, I'm not mine anymore. I'm surrendering. I am a sacrifice offered to you. You do with me what you will. And then comes separation. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed. See, here's the problem why we struggle with separation. Because we haven't surrendered. And here's what we do. We get saved and then we try to start surrendering. We try to get rid of this. 
but our old nature doesn't want to and we fight and we struggle and we spend all our Christian life battling over these issues of separation when it could have all been solved if we'd have done it God's way and just first of all surrender ourselves to Him because when you sacrifice and give yourself to God, then now he's in charge. And if he says, let that go, then you just let it go. If he says, implement this, you just implement it. It's really not a struggle once you have surrendered. And then once you have been saved, once you have surrendered, once you have separated, then comes service that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Can I say God has a good will for your life? God has an acceptable will. That is something that is fitting with who you are and what your talents and abilities are. And God actually has a perfect will of God for your life that you can enjoy. And it all requires is a step of faith. Our salvation is a step of faith. Our surrender is a step of faith. Our separation is a step of faith. Our service is a step of faith. You see, we know not where the path may lead, but we know who leads us down the path. And we just simply trust him. You see, we don't see the end. Joseph saw the pit and the prison, but God was seeing the palace. Naomi saw bereavement, but God saw blessing. The early church saw persecution, but God saw propagation. As they that were persecuted went everywhere, they were scattered abroad preaching the word of God. You see, God does have a plan. God does have a purpose. I think of the words of that great preacher from down in the, the uh, state of uh, Mississippi, I believe. He wrote these words at the funeral of his wife and infant child. He said, my father's way may twist and turn, my heart may throb and ache, but in my soul I'm glad I know he maketh no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray, my hopes may fade away, but still I'll trust my Lord to lead, for he doth know the way. Though night be dark and it may seem that day will never break, I'll pin my faith, my all in him. He maketh no mistake. Oh, there's so much now I cannot see. My eyesight's far too dim. But come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to him. For by and by the mist will lift and plain it all he'll make. Through all the way, though dark to me, he made not one mistake. I wanna say to you that God is the God of Abraham he directs to the invisible. You don't see where you're going. You don't understand why the path leads that way. And you get frustrated and you get anxious. You get upset and you get all bent out of shape. If you'll just sit back and remember, oh yeah, I remember he's the God of Abraham. He directs to the invisible. He does have something in mind. He has a plan. I'm just simply going to trust him and walk day by day, hand in hand with Jesus. Oh, can I say to you, he's the God of Abraham. He directs to the invisible. But then I notice the second thing. He says, I'm the God of Jacob or, or the God of Isaac. Not only does he direct to the invisible as the God of Abraham, but as the God of Isaac, he does the impossible. Can I say to you, God wants you to remember that he's the God who specializes in things thought impossible. He does the things others cannot do. In fact, if you read the story of Isaac, it's basically just one miracle after another. I mean, think about the matter of his birth. That was a miracle. I mean, you read in Genesis chapter 17 and verse number 17, and God shows up to Abraham and he says, Abraham, now I've been telling you about this, but now the time's getting near and you're gonna have a son. And Abraham, the Bible says, and Abraham laughed. 
And you were saying, what, what are you talking about, God? I'm 100 years old, and Sarah, she's a raving beauty, but she's 90. I mean, God, this is impossible. It can't happen. And then guess what happens? You get over to chapter 18, and God comes, and he talks to Abraham. He says, by the way, remember what I told you back there in chapter 17 that you're going to have a son? I'm going to tell you again you're going to have a son. And Sarah was being very feminine. She was eavesdropping. She wanted to hear what they were talking about. And when she overheard that statement, guess what she did? She had the same response Abraham had. She laughed. She said, how in the world could this happen? I mean, I'm, I'm now 90 years old and it ceases to be with me after the manner of women. There is no way on the face of the earth that I could ever have a son. But guess what happens in chapter 21? God visits Sarah just like he said. And according to the time of life, guess what happened? That 90 or now by now 91-year-old woman gives birth to a bouncing baby boy. And guess what his name is? His name is Isaac. And you know what Isaac means? Isaac means laughter. And God said, you can laugh Abraham and you can laugh Sarah, but I'm going to have the last laugh because I'm going to give you a son just like I told you I would. I'm the God of Isaac. I do the impossible. That which cannot be done, I can perform. What about the matter of the burnt offering? Genesis chapter number 22, Isaac is now a young man. And he comes with his father and God has come to his father, Abraham, and said, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. I want you to take him to a place I'm going to show you of and I want you to offer him there for a burnt offering. The Bible says that Abraham just packed up the wood, packed up the fire, took the knife in hand, loaded up the animals and started out. You know, I like Abraham, don't you? I like somebody that just obeys he doesn't quibble, he doesn't question, he doesn't argue. I don't even think he told Sarah. I think he looked at Sarah and said, hey, darling, we're gonna take a little trip. We'll be back in a little while. And he took off. Because according to Hebrews, Abraham believed that Isaac was as good as dead. He believed that Isaac was going to literally die and Abraham simply believed that God could do the impossible and bring him back to life again. They make their way to the mountain. They leave the animals. They leave the servants behind. Isaac loads the wood upon his shoulders. They start up the mountain. Isaac looks at Daddy Abraham and he says, Father, here's the wood and here's the fire. But where is the lamb? Oh, and Abraham, I believe Abraham said more than he knew he said. He said, Son, God will provide himself a lamb. Now, he didn't say God will provide for himself a lamb, although that's probably what he meant. He said God will provide himself a lamb. And by faith, now we can look ahead and see that uh, thousands of years later, God did exactly that when Jesus came to this world. And he came walking down the road one day and John the Baptist looked up and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And as they go up that mountain, Abraham's convinced that Isaac is gonna die. He binds him, he lays the wood in order, lays Isaac upon the wood, pulls the knife back to thrust it into his breast. And God says, Abraham, Abraham, he says, look over there behind you. And he looks and there is a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. I mean, God does everything perfectly, 
There is a male sheep for a sacrifice, a ram, a picture of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. There he is, he's caught. He can't get away. He's caught in a thicket. And normally a thicket of thorns would tear the flesh. But instead, this man, and by the way, thorns are a picture of the curse, a result of sin. And it's sin that has held this ram captive. But it's got him by his horns, so it's not going to mar his flesh and make him in, uh, uh, unavailable or unqualified to be the sacrifice. A picture of that crown of thorns that would one day crown the Lamb of God as he hung on Calvary's tree. It was all a miracle in Isaac's life. The matter of his birth, the matter of his burnt offering. What about the matter of his bride? Oh, I want to tell you, read Genesis chapter 24 when you get home. That's a wonderfully strange story. Abraham says, I'm getting old. My son needs a wife. So he said, I've got a great plan. He calls his servant. He says, I want you to go find a wife for my son. Now that's just plumb strange if you ask me. And so he sends his servant off and his servant goes on a journey and his servant says, man, how in the world am I going to pick a, a, a bride for this boy? I mean, I have no hope. He said, Lord, all I knew to do is pray about it. And can I say to you, that's always the best thing to do. Too many times prayer is our last resort instead of our first response. It ought to be our first response. And servant's riding along. He said, Lord, I don't know how to pick out a woman. I don't even know if he was married. He said, I, I, I don't know how to pick out a woman for this boy. Lord, all I'm going to do is I'm going to show up. And when I show up, if there's a girl there, I'm just going to say, I got to water the camels. If she runs over and says, let me water them for you, that's going to be the one. Now, doesn't it just sound strange to you? Doesn't it just sound weird? And guess what? He pulls up to the water stop and, and uh, gets off his camel, gets ready to water his camels. And this girl runs up and she says, let me water them for you. Can I say sometimes God can answer your prayer so quick it doesn't even seem real? The Bible says, shall come to pass before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. That's the kind of God we serve. And so she waters the camels. And then he, the story gets even stranger. He goes home with her. He tells her what his mission is. He says, uh, you know, my, my, my master's looking for a bride for his son. Uh, would you like to be the one? She says, yeah, I think I'll go. I mean, she didn't have a picture. He didn't have a cell phone to show her what he looked like. They couldn't FaceTime. I mean, there was none of that. She just had to go by faith. He said, will you go? She said, I will. And off they went. And as the story goes, they live happily ever after. I mean, that's a whole miracle. You see, Isaac's life is just one miraculous thing after another. But oh, I think this last one is the best one. It's the one I almost missed because it's a miracle, the impossible thing about the matter of his boy. Did you ever think about that? Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And you know the story how they were, though they were twins, they were opposites. Esau was a man of the field and Isaac was more of a man about the house and Esau liked to hunt and Jacob liked to cook. And uh, and they didn't get along too well. And Jacob was a conniver and a schemer. And he's always trying to get what belonged to somebody else. And of course, you know the story how he comes in. He deceives his brother, steals his birthright, buys it for a mess of pottage. Then later on, when his father gets ready to bless him, he, with the help of his mother, connives and schemes and puts a goat skin on himself and comes in and sets down beside his father and 
His father says, you know, your voice is the voice of uh, Jacob, but you're, you're, you feel like Esau. By the way, that should tell you you can't go by feelings. Your feelings will lead you astray. So he feels that the hairy skin of that goat, and he says, you feel like Esau, I'm, I'm going to bless you. And he, and he gives him the blessing. What would have been Jacob's anyway, because God had already promised Jacob tried to steal can I say, if God's given you a promise, you don't have to connive and scheme and uh, try to work it out on your own. God will work it out for you. But because of that, there was alienation. Jacob had to flee. You see, for Isaac, his boy has done wrong. He's deceived his father. And he's out of fellowship. And he's gone for year after year after year. Often wonder sometimes if Isaac didn't lay on his bed at night with the tears running down his cheeks, thinking, where's my boy tonight? I know he's always in trouble. I know he's always up to something. I wonder if he's even still alive. Oh, but guess what happens? By the way, that all happened because Jacob thought he, uh, Isaac thought he was going to die. He thought he was on his deathbed. But he wasn't near as dead as he thought he was. He kept living and he kept living and he kept living. And 10 years passed and 20 years passed. Finally, we get to Genesis chapter 35 and verse number 27. The Bible says, And Jacob came unto Isaac his father, unto Mamre, unto the city of Arba, which is Hebron. You know what the word Hebron means? Fellowship. Oh, before Isaac died, he saw his boy come back to the place of fellowship. You know what that was? That was nothing less than a miracle of God. Noah, can I say tonight, you might have a son, you might have a daughter, you might have a grandchild who's gone astray. Oh, can I say, don't give up. You've got the God of Isaac that you serve. You say, there's no way they'll come back. Oh, just keep on praying. Just keep on waiting. Just keep on believing God. It might amaze you one day they show up at your door and the place of fellowship is restored once again. Oh, he's the God of the impossible. There's no person he can't save. There's no prayer he can't answer. There's no problem he can't solve. There's no promise he can't keep. There's no place he can't send revival. God can do anything. He is the God of Isaac, the God who does the impossible. He specializes in things thought impossible. He does the things others cannot do. Well, I've got to hurry tonight. He's the God of Abraham. He directs to the invisible. He's the God of Isaac. He does the impossible. What can I say tonight? I'm glad he's the God of Jacob. Because that tells me he deals with the imperfect. Oh, can I say Jacob was a rascal? Jacob was a crook. Jacob was a cheat. He was a swindler. And yet God said, in spite of all Jacob is, I'm still God. And I can still take him and make something of him. God called him in Genesis chapter 28. God changed him in Genesis chapter 32. Can I tell you how God changed him? It took two things. First of all, Jacob had to be conscious. He had to become conscious of his utter weakness. That's why God touched the hollow of his thigh. The strongest place in his body became his weakest. You have to be conscious 
of your utter weakness that without him you can do nothing. And then there had to be a confession of his utter sinfulness. God said, what's your name? He said, Jacob. He said, I'm a crook, I'm a cheat, I'm a swindler. God said, all right, now that we got that out of the way, now that you told me what you are, I'm going to tell you who I'm going to make you. Can I tell you, God can make you far more than you ever dreamed you could be. You say, but look at my life. Look what a mess I've made. Yeah, but look what a God we have. He's the God of Jacob's. He'll change you. God called him. God changed him. And God crowned him. God said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men. I like to read this. Genesis chapter 47, verse number 10. Jacob goes down into Egypt. The Bible says, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. What about that most powerful man on the place of the earth? And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Hebrews 7, 7 tells us, and without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. So who was better? Jacob was better. God made him greater than the greatest man on the face of the earth in the world's eyes. I'm glad that God can take a crooked stick and draw a straight line. I'm glad that God can take a broken reed and sound a clear note. If we'll just take who we are and what we are and put ourselves in the hand of God, we'll find that the God of Jacob will deal with the imperfect and make you more than you ever dreamed you could be. This then is what God wants for us to remember about him. He's the God of Abraham. He directs to the invisible. Trust him. He's the God of Isaac. He does the impossible. Believe him. He's the God of Jacob. He deals with the imperfect. Surrender to him. This is my name. And this is my memorial unto all generations. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.